Hi, welcome to Skip's Corner, where I cover Nashville's baseball history and events and introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans. In 1955, Larry Gilbert, who had come to Nashville in 1938 to begin the 1939 season for the Nashville Vols, he was brought here by Faye Murray, who gave Gilbert the one-half ownership, and he gave, gave him the presidency and the general manager's job. But he became disillusioned in 1955, and Gilbert sold his half ownership in the Nashville Ball Club to Ted Murray, who was Faye Murray's son. Faye Murray passed away in the 40s. Gilbert had served in that capacity after retiring from the managerial post after the 1948 season. And in the interim, Murray named business manager Lim Whitey Larkins as general manager for a few weeks before hiring a man named Bill McCarthy to the position in June. And he was an innovator. And I'll tell you how he was an innovator. He was a World War II veteran and a Chicago Cubs fan and had moved from the ranks of ticket salesman with the Muncie, Indiana Reds to business manager with Muncie, Rockford, Illinois, Charleston, West Virginia, and Columbia, South Carolina ball clubs before moving to Nashville. The Falls were in their second season of affiliation with the Cincinnati Reds after a three-year agreement with the New York Giants from 1952 through 1954. It wasn't a good relationship. And McCarthy was innovative in his intent to bring fans to the ballpark. And the best part of that was Fred Murray gave him free reign. Attendance had improved in 1955 to nearly 117,000 for the season, bettering the total in 1948 of just under 90,000. But McCarthy knew the club could do better. For publicity purposes, he instituted a monthly newsletter sponsored by Burke's Menswear with team news, fan of the month, and a meet the Vols section, including a most popular player award and announcement of special nights at the Dale. Not only that, but he began making physical changes by redecorating the ballpark once the 1955 season ended. The first thing he did was he rebuilt the entire infield, and the area behind home plate was raised 18 inches to give the catcher more maneuverability in fielding foul balls. Every grandstand seat was repainted, green for general admission and orange for reserved seats, and he improved and enlarged the concession service area. And a new marquee was installed over the main entrance to inform fans of the game time and visiting club, and to advertise baseball and Sulfordale. A new 35-foot neon sign was installed atop the main grandstand entrance with the words, Sulfordale, baseball's most historic park since 1870, in large letters. Above the entire sign was a baseball way up high, and when lighted, the ball club was in town, and when not lighted, there will be no game that day. Perhaps the most daunting task he did was eliminate the steep embankment in right field to a gentle slope, with 500 loads of dirt hauled in to make the slope easier to maneuver by the right fielder and the center fielder. Unchanged, though, is the distance from home plate to the right field fence at 262 feet. Nashville Banner sports writer George Leonard thought it would reduce the number of bad connotations players and writers from other cities would have to say. You may remember that they often referred to Sulfordale as Suffer Hell. And here's what Leonard said. The right field view is particularly lovely now. 
No longer will players' lives and limbs be in peril by wild charges of a precipitous incline. The transformation is really amazing. And McCarthy tried to get everybody to understand that from now on, right field will no longer be referred to as the dump, but now the terrace. Now, how does one go about paying for all of those changes? Well, by increasing revenue. And although McCarthy was intent on putting more fans in the stands, he showed his marketing genius by adding a second row of billboards in right field. More advertisements on the billboards, more revenue. And he wasn't even deterred when the Cumberland River flooded in January, completely covering the resided infield and outfield. Banneter sports editor Fred Russell gave a bird's-eye version of what he observed. Here's what he said. What a whale of a difference the little things make. You can sit in the grandstand or the press box at Sulphurdale for nearly 30 years and pay little or no attention to the bare, sloping ground behind home plate. Then comes Bill McCarthy with the idea of building up and sodding this area, designing pathways from home plate to the dugouts, and it's mighty pretty. That's right, already eye-catching in February, and you would be surprised, too, at the fine stand of grass on the infield. As for the right field dump, or what used to be the dump, well, the major operation out there is just the greatest thing that ever happened to the Nashville ballpark. What used to be a sharp incline with a sort of shelf for the right fielder to stand on is now a mild gradient, smooth and well-turfed. Right fielders and center fielders can run at top speed parallel to the fence. Baseball in Sulphurdale is going to be a more appealing game in every way. Even Tom Seiler of the Knoxville News was impressed by the news of renovation. Nashville's baseball situation illustrates once again the importance of aggressive leadership. A year ago, the Nashville club was floundering. The change came about when Ted Murray bought out Larry Gilbert, who went back to New Orleans. And no longer in Gilbert's shadow, Murray opened up his wallet, he's worth several millions, and began to spend money. Thousands of dollars have been spent on Sulphurdale, and there's a new and bustling spirit about the operation. McCarthy even announced that he was going to allow Nashville high school teams the opportunity to use the Dale for games on Tuesdays and Fridays when the Vols were on the road. Schools would only have to pay for the use of lights during night games. And when spring training opened at their Brooksville, Florida camp, the Vols found that McCarthy had a new clubhouse built especially for them at a cost of approximately $10,000. Now, this was all reported as the spring came along through spring training and as Nashville Vols fans were preparing for the new season. But due to telephone and personal requests, Vols management scheduled an open house at the renovated ballpark from 2 to 5 on Easter Sunday, April the 1st. And how strong was the buzz about the new season and the new ballpark? Well, how many would you think would show up on Easter Sunday in the afternoon to view the ballpark? If you guessed about 3,000, then you'd be right. 2,924 fans attended. They had free bus service from the Nashville Transit System at certain spots downtown. And it was such a popular event that McCarthy scheduled another open house on April the 3rd, two days later, once again with free bus service at noon. And the first teams to play in the revamped Sulphurdale were not the Nashville Vols and certainly not the Brooklyn Dodgers or Milwaukee Braves, who were scheduled for a new exhibition game in a few days. No, it was Isaac Litton and East. They played the first game in the renovated ballpark in a game won by Litton 12-5. to 
And on April the 8th, the Vols faced a team from the Tennessee Penitentiary before the Braves and Dodgers squared off at 2 p.m., with the World Series champion Dodgers winning by a score of 12-3. to And the amazing thing about that, 11,933 fans attended the game, and the crowd was so large, the grandstand could only seat 7,500 and added 1,000 with the bleachers. The fans had to sit in the outfield hills or terrace. Two days later, on Tuesday, April the 10th, it was opening night for Nashville against Chattanooga, and 4,134 fans attended the game in a drizzling rain, won by the Vols 9-3. Fred Russell said in his newspaper account the next day that he would not have been surprised had the attendance been twice that if the weather had been better. Things went smoothly for McCarthy and the Vols until April the 23rd in a 12-8 loss to New Orleans when only 438 Nashville fans showed up in 46-degree weather. But true to form, those fans were rewarded by McCarthy, who would honor their rain checks for any future Vols game during the season. And the next day, he announced a new promotion. It seems like he was always coming up with something new. He was an innovator, remember. And this one was for the players. A steak dinner awarded for each home run, $25 for hitting a certain sign in the right field, and a set of tires for any drive going through a hole in a tire on another advertiser's sign, and another $25 for clearing a sign in left field. By June the 28th, attendance for the 1956 season stood at 58,586, and at the end of the year, total attendance would be 115,049, a decline of 1,903 from the previous season. And although McCarthy had great ideas, was a great innovator in putting fans in the stands, he couldn't win the battle against Lucy and Desi on television or air conditioning or automobiles becoming more prevalent and the city limits expanding out in Davidson County. Though McCarthy would remain with the club through the 1959 season, in five seasons, the Vols averaged just over 120,000 during his reign. And he resigned when New York Yankees pitching coach Jim Turner was named field manager and general manager of the Nashville Vols for the 1969 season. Well, that's a little bit of history, especially from 1956 for the Nashville Vols and Sulphurdale. So many of us remember that big marquee out front and also the big 35-foot sign up top and those neon lights shone so brightly, calling attention to the ballpark. And the Nashville Sounds have recreated that on the back of the batter's eye in center field at the new First Tennessee Ballpark. And I think it gives great testament. And that big guitar scoreboard that shines so brightly also is a throwback to the old days of Sulphurdale, baseball's most historic park since 1870. I hope you enjoyed hearing more about Sulphurdale and the ballpark innovations that took place in 1956 and a little bit about Bill McCarthy, who was a visionary, I think, much like Larry Schmidt, although I think Schmidt had a little bit more vision as we moved into a, the last part of the 20th century. I think that Sulphurdale was the home for so many ball players and so many fans that they just loved it and they continue to love it today. So I hope this one is a memory for you. And if you'd like to write me or give me a remark or a suggestion or a criticism or an update so that I'll know exactly how you feel and what you know about the ballpark, certainly email me at 262downright at gmail.com. And I'm grateful that you would listen in, and I hope that you'll do so again the next time. Thank you.